Revelation 16. It's going to start in verse 1 and read the whole chapter. It's page 957. If you have a pew Bible, when you find it, I want you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Revelation 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful, painful sore afflicted the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. And the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers. And the springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel, the water saying, righteous are you. The holy one who is and who was. O holy one, because you judge these things, for they poured out the bloods of the saints and the prophets. And you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. And it was given power to scorch the people with fire. The people were scorched with a fierce heat and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. And they did not repent so as to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom became darkened and they gnawed their tongues because of pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores and they did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up so the way would be prepared for the kings of the east. And then I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. They are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the entire world to gather them together for war on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his clothes so he will not, be walk, he will not walk about naked and people will not see his shame. And they gathered together in the place which is in Hebrew is called Hormageddon. And then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air and a loud voice came from the temple and the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, the sounds and peals of thunder. And there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since mankind came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it and so mighty the great city was split into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. Babylon, the great, was remembered in the sight of God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. And every island fled and no mountains were found. And huge hailstones, weighing about a talent each, came down from heaven upon people. And people blasphemed God because of the plague of hell and because of the hailstone plague was extremely severe. The title of the message is the wrath of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We come today, Lord, to learn, to grow, to be who you want us to be. 
Father, we do this, we look at a hard passage. Things described in this section, Lord, are harsh. But they're true. They will happen because you have declared it. Father, we must we must know this. We must embrace this. We must let this weigh on our hearts as it should. There is a temptation, Lord, in all of us to to push hard things like this away and not let them break our hearts, burden us as they ought to. But help us not to do that today. Let your spirit take the word and just plow up our hearts as they need to be plowed up. Let this sink deep in. Until we, like Jesus, as he looked over Jerusalem, as he wept, we would look over Gaiman. We'd weep. Lord, our eyes would not be dry as we prayed for our lost loved ones to be saved. Our hearts would feel the sense of urgency to see them brought to Christ they ought to have. This isn't a game. These aren't minor things we're talking about today. Souls, precious souls, hang in the balance. And as disciples of Jesus, as your church, our hearts ought to break for them. There ought to be bitter grief, groaning, and broken hearts in all of our lives about this God. Father, today, if there's any here that. that They aren't disciples. They've not repented. They've not believed. Or they're sort of nominal in their commitment and their devotion. Do you use this to to wake them up? To shake them? To see? This is real. It's bad. Father, let us all flee to Jesus today to be closer to Him and to be who He wants us to be. Fill me with Your Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech and help me not to be a hindrance. In any way today to what you want done, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In Revelation, there is a series of three judgments executed in seven stages each. There are seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls each more severe than the ones before it. The seals destroy a quarter of the earth. The trumpets destroy a third of the earth. And now the bowls affect the entire earth. Also, the seals and the trumpets only indirectly affect people who rebel against God and reject His Son. It it more affects everything else and they suffer as a result. But today, as we look here, it begins to affect the people themselves. We've arrived in this final set of judgments. If you look at Revelation 15 and and 7, it says one of the four living creatures gave the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The the phrase, the, the full of the wrath of God, 
carries with it the idea of swelling. Right, so I guess you could picture a dam under pressure. The water has risen, floods have come, and the dam is swelling and almost about to break. And if it does, this water is just going to rush and bring destruction in its wake. This is the picture here. God's wrath has thus far been held off. Oh, it's spilled over some. There has been some judgment. There has not been the fullness of the wrath of God, though. There has some things are have spilled over and have gotten onto the people who have rejected God and rebelled against His Son. But, but now the time comes when the dam is going to break and the wrath of God is going to be poured out full strength upon the earth and upon the people of the earth who have rebelled against God and who have rejected His Son. This wrath has been building since the days of Adam and Eve when they first rebelled against God. It has been building down through the generations as generation after generation rebel against God, reject His Son, continue to find new and exciting ways to live and depraved lives and justify it in their lives. And thus far, the mercy and the wrath of God have held it at bay, kept it from pouring out full strength upon rebellious humanity. But today... In Revelation 16, it is poured out full strength. As we look at this, realize this is pure wrath. There is no mercy. There is no grace. There is just the fierce wrath of God being poured out upon those who have rebelled against God's rule over their life and rejected His Son. There are three truths about The wrath of God, this passage teaches us. First, the wrath of God is ferocious. As we look at the the bowls, see verse 2, the first angel poured out his bowl on the earth. Harmful and painful sores afflicted the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. There's probably some picture of like Job. Here, some picture of like in Egypt when they were afflicted in a similar way. But the idea of these harmful and painful sores is that we should think of like an open running sore that is extraordinarily painful. So imagine a, a worldwide plague inflicting foul, painful sores oozing with nastiness on every living Human. That's what we see here. None. None escape. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it became blood like that of a dead man. And every living thing in the sea died. In Revelation 8, 8 and 9, the second trumpet judgment caused a third of the ocean to turn to blood. This time, all of it is turned to blood. And when it does, every living creature in the sea dies. I mean, wrap your mind around the enormity of this. Every living creature in the sea all around the world dies. All of it will be blood. And everything within it will be dead. Think how dependent so much of our world is upon the ocean, upon the seas for, for food, for shipping, for everything. The socioeconomic impact of this judgment will be devastating 
unto the world. The third angel pours out his bowl onto the rivers. And the springs of water and they become blood. So what happened to the sea now happens to all of the fresh water. And they too become blood. It doesn't say this, but I think it would be a safe conclusion to say every living thing in it died as well. Now, again, imagine the the impact of this. What happens to the world when there is no fresh water? What What do people drink? What do the animals drink? I mean, what happens when you run out of bottled water? What happens in this time that the amount of suffering that goes on in this? Now, we're told in verse 5 and 6, they deserve this because they spilled the blood of the saints and of the prophets. So if you've been here through the study, you know that when the Antichrist rises to power, one of the things he does is he, he persecutes the disciples of Jesus over all the earth. He hunts them down and those who will not take his mark are, are martyred for their faith in Jesus. And they're speaking out of his word. And since he is, the world has been in on it. Right? The people of the world either were in on martyring the saints or the people of the world approved of the martyring of the saints. And since they have all taken part in the spilling of the blood of the disciples of Jesus, they are now given blood to drink. And from under the altar, you hear the martyrs crying out in verse 7, Yes, Lord Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. So imagine a world where there is no fresh water to drink and all of the freshwater animals are dead. Imagine a world where when you turn on your faucet, water doesn't come out, but blood does. Death and disease are going to skyrocket. Violence will escalate as people become desperate to try to find water for themselves and their families. This will be what's going on. Verse 8, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. It was given power to scorch the people with fire. Um. I would imagine part of this is because there's no more water to drink. Right? It's scorching, it's hot, there's, it's burning, but then there's also nothing, no water to, to cool your thirst, no water to, to hydrate yourself with. The intensity of the sun will increase to the point that just being out in the sun will burn you. I think scorch carries with it the idea of fiercely burned, right? It's not just like, oh, I got a little bit of sun today, but burned badly and in deep and abiding pain. But they don't die. They just suffer under this. The fifth angel in verse 10 pours out his bowl on the throne of the beast and his kingdom becomes darkened. And they gnaw on their tongues because of the pain. So keep in mind with this, all of these things are cumulative. right? So there's the sores, then there's the sea, then there's the river, then there's the sun, And now there's this darkness that has taken away the sun. I think this harkens back to 
the plagues in Egypt when God darkened the, the nation of Egypt so that the, the raw, the sun God would not shine and it would show that Yahweh was greater than all the gods of Egypt. This is part of what's going on here. God is demonstrating to the people the beast is not God. I remember they all had that opportunity. The beast elevated himself to be God. He said he was the God all religions had pointed to. And they had a choice. They could, they could take the mark and worship the beast as God. Or they could repent of their sins and believe the gospel which was being proclaimed throughout the earth. And they chose. And they chose the beast to worship him rather than worship Yahweh. And they are now learning. They have chosen poorly. Because the beast is not the sovereign ruler of the universe. Yahweh is. And the knowledge of all of this, plus the scorching heat, plus the boils, the lack of water, and all of everything else comes upon them till they have such deep misery and they are in such deep pains. They are essentially lost their minds in agony as they... Chew on their tongues. Verse 12, the sixth angel pours out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. It dries up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. This is talking about the, the great final battle. This is preparing for that, which we'll talk about at a, at a later time. And then in verse 18, we see the seventh bowl. Verse 17, I'm sorry. We see the seventh bowl is poured out. A loud voice comes out of heaven from the throne saying it, it's done. There's flashes, sounds, and peals of thunder, and a great earthquake. An earthquake so great, there has never been one like it on the earth. Which is, is significant because there was an earthquake earlier as a part of the judgments. When the seals were broken, there was an earthquake causing the mountains and the islands to move out of their spaces. But the one here is even more severe because it, it causes the, the islands. Where's it at? Verse 20. Every island fled and no mountains were found. So they don't just move. It basically is an earthquake so severe the mountains collapse and are brought to rubble. The, the islands are all sinking and, and have taken and gone to the bottom of the ocean. The earthquake is so severe in verse 19, the great city, which I believe would be Jerusalem, is split into three parts. And then all of the cities of all of the nations fell, collapsed. Can you imagine the devastation and the horror? But there's more. Verse 21, a part of the seventh trumpet, huge hailstones weighing about a talent each, fall down from heaven upon people. One of my commentaries said that a talent weighed somewhere between 100 to 125 pounds. Can you imagine a 100-pound ball of ice falling out of the sky? Not just localized somewhere, but over all of the earth, striking people. What happens to the people? Who are hit by those hailstones. 
Nothing good. This is the fullness of the fierceness of the wrath of God. And it is being poured out full strength on those who have resisted his rule and those who have rejected the salvation offered through his son. It is almost too awful to contemplate. The wrath of God is ferocious. But the wrath of God is also deserved. The wrath of God is ferocious as it is. It is terrible. It is like the worst disaster movie, horror movie, and apocalypse movie all rolled into one. The worst because those typically have some sort of a happy ending, but not so. There is no happy ending for the people of the earth here. It is just all bad. And lest we think, gosh, God is too harsh. We have to remember those who suffer this wrath, they deserve this wrath. Look at verse two. It fell on those who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. Again, this is falling on people who had a choice. They had a choice to take the mark or repent and believe the gospel that was being proclaimed throughout all of the earth. And they they chose to reject Yahweh. They chose to reject His Son, Jesus Christ. And they, they chose the peace and the prosperity and the pleasure of the immediate that the Antichrist offered them rather than the ultimate salvation offered through Jesus Christ. And they took the mark. And in taking the mark, they are essentially selling their souls to the devil. They sold their souls to him for the peace and the prosperity and the pleasure he offered. They said, yes, maybe there is a salvation in the future that is good, but right now I can have this. And so they chose this and the immediate and what was there over the ultimate. And they worshiped the beast. And in worshiping the beast, again, they they took part in the persecution and the, the murder Of the disciples of Jesus. Now chances are not every person who took the mark. Took part in the murder of the disciples of Jesus. But many of them did. And even those who did it. They they looked on with approval. But more than that. We we saw in previous chapters. They worshipped the beast as he did this. So as disciples of Jesus were murdered. For proclaiming the gospel of Christ and the word of God. These people cheered. They worshipped him. How great is the beast who does this. Who could make war with him. He is wonderful. He is awesome. And they rejoiced. As disciples were murdered. And martyred for their faith in Jesus. And their hearts. Are unbelievably hard. Look at verse 9. They blaspheme the name of God who has the power over these plagues. And they did not repent so as to give him glory. Look at verse 11. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores. And they did not repent 
of their deeds. And look at verse 21. And people blasphemed God because the plague of hell. Because the hellstone plague was extremely severe. In some way. They understand this is God's judgment upon them for their actions and their sins. And rather than repenting of the sin that have brought them to this place and crying out to the God for maybe there could be mercy for them. They not only harden their hearts and refuse to repent, as we've seen in previous chapters, but now they curse God. They blaspheme him for this. But these aren't people who are going, why, oh, why is this bad thing happening? They know why. And rather than saying, Yahweh, you are God, we repent, we are sorry, you were right and we were wrong. They curse God. Who are you to judge us? Who are you to do this to us? They continually, continually cry out in their rebellion. The rebellion is even beyond this. We see in verse 12 that the river Euphrates is dried up. And it's setting, uh, setting things up for Armageddon, the great battle of Revel- what I believe is Revelation 19. But during all of this, as this happens, the, the beast and the prophet and the dragon give birth in some ways to unclean spirits and demons who go throughout the earth. And gather the kings of the entire world, verse 14 says, to war of the great day of God, the Almighty. And so they they take them out to war against God. So not only are they suffering and blaspheming God, even in the midst of all of this where it is obvious and apparent that the beast cannot conquer Yahweh, these spirits go out to recruit people to war and they say yes. We will sign up. We will go to war with Yahweh. We will try to fight him with you. They choose the beast and the Antichrist even in this moment. It's just a further proof of their rebellion. Further evidence. They deserve the wrath of God. Let me read you what one pastor, North Carolina, a fellow named Alan Carr says about this. If this judgment proves anything, it proves the absolute sinfulness of humanity. It proves that man is an incorrigible sinner and that salvation is totally the work of grace. It proves that even when man is confronted with the power and the judgment of God, he will not repent of his sins. It proves salvation is of the Lord and people don't just get religion or turn to Jesus. It proves salvation requires direct divine intervention. If God did not come to us on a personal basis, convict us of our sins, quicken our dead spirit and save us by his grace, we would all go to hell. You see, the same rebellion and hatred of God would be revealed in you and in me were it not for the grace of God. He goes on and he says this. When people die and go to hell, we have an image of them trying to get saved. So they confess their sins and cry out to Jesus. I do not believe it will be that way. Look at the rich man in Luke 16, 19 through 31. There's no hint of remorse over the life he lived. There is only sorrow over the sentence he received. 
When people go to hell, they will lift up their voices in blasphemy against God. They will curse Him, and even His judgment will not bring them to a place of repentance. May God help this sin-cursed, fallen world. The reality, the truth. People deserve the judgment they get. We deserve the judgment. It is only by the grace of God we do not receive it. Man is hardened in sin, incorrigible in rebellion, and on their own has no care for the things of God. The wrath of God is ferocious. The wrath of God is deserved. And the wrath of God is coming. Verse 1, I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. The day described in verse 1 and that we've just looked at, it will eventually come. It really will, for the Lord has declared it. Second Peter 3 talks about the return of Jesus. It tells us people will mock the idea of Jesus returning. They will say things have always gone on. They've always been bad. They've always thought it was time. And nothing has ever changed. We certainly see this kind of mocking about the certainty of God's judgment and Christ's return in our world today. Peter goes on to say God is not slow about keeping His promises. Instead, God is being patient toward us. Not wanting any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This day has not come. Not because mankind doesn't deserve it. We do. This day has not come because God is merciful. And God is gracious. And God is holding back this day to give more people more opportunities to repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. God in His unbelievable patience towards sinful humanity. He works through His Word. And He works through passages like this to make us see there is no salvation in anyone or anything other than Jesus. Think about what we just saw in this passage. God poured out His just wrath and destroyed all the things humanity wants to look to for salvation. Nature. Mother Earth offers no salvation. As God pours out His wrath on the sun, the waters, and the earth itself. Nature, the earth, none of those things can save. The morals, the people of the day, would likely have described themselves as good moral people. And indeed, their morals were consistent with the cultural norms of this time. And yet... The judgment of God fell upon them because there is no salvation in morality. In fact, in their morality, they just deserved the wrath of God, we're told. Politics. The beast represents the political head of the empire of the dragon. And despite being worshipped as God, 
The beast and his political empire offer no salvation. As God pours out his wrath on the beast and specifically on his throne, his empire, crushing it. Politics offers no salvation. National identity. In this day, there will basically be a a one world type government. Identified in in Revelation as Babylon, symbolized as Babylon. But there is no salvation for Babylon as God's wrath is poured out upon Babylon. Babylon is, is doomed. And it cannot save its people. There is no salvation in national identity. Apart from Jesus, nothing humanity can put their trust in to save them from the day of God's just wrath will save them. Nothing. Jesus alone saves. Because Jesus alone died on the cross to pay the penalty for sins. His death in our place took this wrath of God against our sin. Before Jesus went to the cross, He prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. What cup is Jesus talking about? We look at Revelation 14 and 10. Talks about the people who receive the mark. We'll drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed full strength in the cup of his anger. We'll be tormented with fire and brimstone, the presence of the holy angels, the presence of the Lamb. Now look at Revelation 16 and, and 19. The great city was split into three parts. The cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered in the sight of God to give her the, the cup, the wine of his fierce wrath. The cup Jesus was praying about. The cup that Jesus surrendered to take, to drink. It's the fierceness, the wrath of Almighty God. What happened to Jesus the moment where He died was more than just being abused by Romans. More than just being betrayed by Jews. More than just being crucified. He was drinking the cup of the fierce wrath of God in our place for our sins. Remember the Punishment for sinning against an infinitely holy God isn't merely physical death or spiritual death. It is eternal death. It is to be cast in the lake of fire for all eternity where the smoke of the torments rises up forever and ever. It is to drink for eternity the cup of the wrath of God in full strength. The horrors of what we've seen here, the horrors of hell, illustrate the horrors of sin. It illustrates the punishment Jesus took in our place. It is completely accurate to say Jesus experienced hell on the cross. It is completely accurate to say Jesus drank the cup full strength of the fierce wrath of God. Jesus drank the cup of your wrath For your sins. And Jesus drank the cup of the wrath for my sins. And right now, God in mercy is holding back this day and sparing us from the wrath to come. 
to give us more and more opportunities to come to Jesus and be saved. If God were not merciful, God would bring us into judgment the moment we sinned. But He does not. Rather, He gives us other moments and other times and other days. God in mercy holds back this day of judgment. And God in grace offers us a way of escaping the judgment by repenting of our sins and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. In in a sense, you could almost picture God standing between us and judgment. It is full and overflowing. And the dam is about to break. But the sovereign God is holding it back. He is keeping the dam from breaking. And with His other hand, He is reaching out to us. And He is calling on us to take His hand and let Him pull us out of the way of the wrath that's coming. And for those who reach out and take His hand, He will pull them out and this day of wrath will never come upon them. And to those who do not, He gives a day and another day and another day. And another day. And if you woke up today and you've not yet taken hold of God's hand to be pulled out of the way of the wrath of God, He gave you this day so you could take His hand and be pulled out of the way of judgment. But lest we think God is going to go on forever, there will come a day where God will take this hand back and take this hand back. His judgment will fall. And we will be right in the path and right in the way. And when it overflows, every single person who has resisted His rule and rejected His Son will face the full wrath of God in full strength. And it will be poured out upon them for all of eternity. Jesus says in verse 15, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeps his clothes, so that he will not walk naked and people will not see his shame. He is coming. His counsel is to be ready. We have no idea when this day will come. We don't know when the events of Revelation will start And even if they're a thousand years down the road, God could call us home at any time. Knowing. Not knowing the day or the hour. Knowing this is what's coming. We must always be prepared. Are you prepared? Have you taken hold of God's hand through repentance and faith and been pulled out of the path of the judgment to come? This is not a minor thing. This is not a piddly thing. This is not This is not something to trifle with. This day is coming. And if you have not repented, if you have not believed, if you have not taken God's hand, it is coming for you. It's coming whether you've tried to be a good moral person. It's coming whether you believe it or not.
It's coming. And you'll not be the exception. The only way out of the path of this judgment is through repenting of your sins and believing in Jesus Christ. Everything else will leave you in the path of judgment. And if you're ready, are those you love? They're alive. You're alive for a reason. God has given them another day and God has given us another day to try. While it is cold today, let us do all we can. Let us have bitter grief and broken hearts and deep groaning. Because this day will come, declares the Lord. I want to ask you to stand.